I'm Frank Garza, and welcome to Here and Abroad, a podcast that follows the U.S. men's national team and their player pool across Europe, MLS, or wherever else they play their club football. The U.S. M&T roster for the upcoming Nations League quarterfinals was released today. The U.S. plays Trinidad and Tobago in the two-legged quarterfinals, with the home match being next Thursday, November 16th, in my home base of Austin, Texas. The away match will be November 20th in Port of Spain, Trinidad. On today's show, we're going to break down the roster, and to help me do that, I've invited Joseph Flowery to join the show. Joseph is the founder and editor of Backheeled, an independent media network covering American soccer. He's also a co-host of The Total Soccer Show and a writer with unique features published for ESPN and The Athletic. Joseph, welcome back to the show. Yeah, Frank, it's good to be back. Thanks for having me back on. I'm glad um, that I didn't tank it hard enough the first time to, to at least, you know, be invited back on. And now I've got another chance to tank it this time. No, th- this will be fun. Oh, yeah, this will be fun. I think we, you and I were talking beforehand. It was the March Nations League matchups um, that we t- that we talked about last time. So this roster came out a few hours ago. Uh, you've had a chance to look at it. What's the biggest thing that caught your eye from that roster? The biggest thing is that it, it should be good enough. Right. I think that is ultimately the bar for this particular window. You're going to be down in Trinidad for one of these games. It's not going to be an easy one from a playing condition standpoint. The light at the end of the tunnel for this pair of games is the Copa America. If you take care of business across these two legs, you're in the Copa America. Even if you don't, there is still a path to get there through another you know, playoff sort of thing. Like this is this is the task for the United States. And the reality is this squad, even missing some big names, it should be good enough to get the job done. The U.S. should go out there. They should take care of business in Austin. As you mentioned, they should go to Trinidad and Tobago. They should get the job done there. And they should sort of, you know, clap their hands together and say, all right, we're done. We're in the Copa America. Let's start preparing for next summer. Yeah, you mentioned the, the good enough and kind of alluded to the the big injuries in this roster, of course. Um, we knew Tim Weah was going to be out, was kind of uncertain about Christian Pulisic, but found out he's out as well. That seems to give some opportunities to some of these other wingers, you know, on the roster. Kevin Paredes, Alex Zendejas, you know, Brendan Aronson, of course, um, has had a lot of opportunities in the past. But then I also saw that Paxson Aronson, he was listed as a midfielder. But in the press conference, Burhalter mentioned that he sees him as, as a winger as well. Who do you see filling in for those those wingers uh, in this in, in, in these games? Yeah, Paxson Aronson is is a player that I just got an up close look at in Phoenix when the U twenty threes were out here starting their Olympic cycle. Really, I, it was the first time for that group under Marko Mitrovic. Like they're they're building, and Paxson Aronson was one of the better players on the field whenever he was on the field for the United States. You know, I asked him about his position, and he said, "I can play centrally. I can play wide. Like I, I think he is just as fluid as the difference between where he's listed in the squad and what Baralter talks about." Uh, sort of indicates. So that, that's a little beat on Paxton. As far as the winger positions, I think we're sort of both, Frank, you and I, thinking about this team in a 4-3-3 shape, generally speaking, right? That could be a 4-2-3-1. It could be a 4-3-3, but, you know, four defenders, three players in more central spaces, two wingers that'll pinch in, fullbacks will overlap, you know, here and there. They'll have some flexibility and then a number nine, right? So if you think about the, the position groups and the roster largely in those buckets, how I, I, I think the U.S. will go about replacing Christian Pulisic and Tim Weah the first and most obvious thing is have Giorena be one of those players. He's going to be the primary playmaker whenever he's on the field to begin with. But given the, the real lack of quality 
outside of, of Gio Reyna, in my view, in this position, the, the, the winger position, at least in terms of guys who have proven it and done it consistently at a high level. Given that, I think you have to sort of shift Gio Reyna a little bit higher, maybe a little bit wider. There's not a huge difference between him playing the 10 role and playing as a narrow winger, but then you get three midfielders behind him. Instead of having Gio Reyna be one of those three, you push him into a slightly different position, not one that he doesn't know. He's done it before for club and country, but you get him a little bit in those different areas, and then you have three players. Maybe it's Johnny Cardoso and Musa McKenney. Maybe it's Musa McKenney, Malik Tillman, right? Malik Tillman. Who knows what that list is going to look like? We probably all have our preferences. And then you have Gio Reyna on one side and you, I guess, sort of default to one of the Aronson brothers. I think Brendan Aronson would have the inside track, even though he's not a goal dangerous attacking player. That's not his game. It never has been. He's someone that Brawlther has turned to a lot. You mentioned that, you know, in the intro to this question. So I would imagine it will look like Brendan Aronson on one side and Gio on the other. But, you know, who who is opposite Gio could be different. Yeah, you got to imagine it's going to be very attack minded, especially in that in that home match. I, I'm thinking they're going to want to try and get you know, the last time they played Trinidad. It was six nil in the Gold Cup. Um, if they can get one of those, then they can go to the away match, you know, very comfortable. And so, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see, you know, how Burhalter you know, lines up that attack. Let's let's go through each of the uh, each of the positions and kind of talk about what stood out. And I, and I want to start at center back because that's always one of the positions I look at immediately when a roster comes out because I, I still think it's one of the most wide open positions you know on this USMNT roster. So you got Cameron Carter-Vickers, Tim Ream, Chris Richards, Miles Robinson. You know Ream, Richards, Robinson. Those three have been a pretty steady presence. Cameron Carter-Vickers has been kind of in and out. I know a lot of that's due to injury. But do you think he's kind of solidified himself as that fourth center back ahead of people like Mark McKenzie, Walker Zimmerman, you know, that crowd? It, it sort of seems that way. Greg Berhalter, though, did take care in his press conference to call out a couple of other players in that position group, right? Austin Trusty, Mark McKenzie, both are, are players that he mentioned. So I don't think there's a lot of clarity. I think that it's still a very fluid situation. But barring a major change, right, a major downturn in form for CCV and Celtic or a major uptick in form for Trusty or McKenzie or Zimmerman or whoever, I think really outside of something like that happening, this is probably the first choice group. Tim Ream's age is another factor here. You know, when you look towards 2026, you know, less than three years from now, still a long time. Is that going to be a moment where you want Tim Ream to be playing the most important minutes that the United States have maybe ever played, right? And I, I don't know the answer to that question. Maybe there's not that much more of a drop-off than what we've already seen from Reem athletically. But I would lean towards CCV, yes, still having one of those top four spots in the center back depth chart. Did he, did Greg allude at all in his press conference to, um, you know, like Walker Zimmerman uh, in Nashville just lost, you know, I think it was what, last night or two nights ago in the playoffs and, does that factor at all in his decision leaving some of these MLS guys? Or do you think it was just clearly he's just further peck, down the pecking order? Yeah, I'll be honest. I don't remember what Beralter brought up. You know, maybe he mentioned Zimmerman. Maybe he didn't. I don't I don't remember hearing that. But I was, you know, trying to multitask in a few different things while listening. So I'll have to go back through and, and check the tape on that. I mean, we, we do see Miles Robinson in this camp, right? And so Atlanta are still alive in the playoffs. That might not be true, though, by the time this international window rolls around, they've got a game three coming up against the Columbus crew in the first round over in the East for for uh, the playoffs in MLS. So I, I don't imagine that the timing of the camp and the playoffs and national exiting had much to do with it. I would imagine more so that you know he's just not favored among the top four right now, but I, I don't know for sure. 
Okay. Okay. Well, let's go to the outside backs. This is another this is another uh, position I always look for when the roster comes out. You know, the first three have been pretty set with Serginio Dest, Anthony Robinson, and Joe Scally, but I'm always looking to see who's that fourth outside back they bring in. This time it's Christopher Lund. Again, I think this is his now third camp in a row. Uh, Dewan Jones was left off. So it's kind of the same question for Lund. Has he kind of established himself, you think, as Burhalter's, you know, number number four uh, amongst the fullbacks? It, it kind of seems that way, doesn't it? I mean, he gets to start against Ghana back in October. Yes, Jedi Robinson was not in for that camp, but he does get the start in that game. I think that says something. Greg Berhalter seems to rate him. You know, he seems very positive about Lund and what he brings. I've enjoyed, you know, aspects of what Lund brings to the table. I think he's limited, but all these players are limited, right? I think Lund, very good left foot, good delivery on some of his balls into the box, is is decently athletic in that left back spot. I think he does a lot of good things I, I, for now. And that's the key bit for now. I think he is the number two left back, maybe the number four fullback overall. The thing is that can change. Greg Baralter mentioned in the presser, I was paying attention for this part. He mentioned when he first saw Kevin Paredes <laughs> for DC United, he looked at this guy and thought like, oh, he's the left back of the future. Like that was his thought. That's what Baralter said. You know, he also made sure to emphasize we like his versatility. Paredes, who's listed as a forward, has played left back, left wing back, left wing, right wing throughout his career for DC and Wolfsburg, has played different spots. You know, he's a guy who... If his club situation changes and is asked to play more of a fullback role and he stands out, I don't think he would have any problem leapfrogging Christopher Lund. So it's all very fluid right now. But as things stand, again, right now, I think Lund probably is that guy in that spot on this depth chart. Okay, midfield. We got Paxton Aronson, Johnny Cardoso, Luca De La Torre, Leonard Maloney, Weston McKenna, Eunice Musa, Gio Reyna, and Malik Tillman. Not a whole lot of surprises there for me, except, you know, I will say Paxton Aronson was the maybe the surprise of the roster, you know, for me. He's listed as a midfielder, as we talked about, he could play winger. What about you? Did anything stand out in this in this midfield group? It's interesting to see that Leonard Maloney sort of is the Tyler Adams is hurts and we need to go one layer deeper on the number six depth chart to see that he's that guy and maybe this is a spot where if everybody in MLS is is fully done with their season or is not in the postseason. You could see a different look there, but, you know, Brother called Maloney last window and, and he's back up. He made his debut last window. I don't think he's a very good player. I don't think he's someone that the U.S. Will, will turn to in real moments of need between now and the end of the 2026 World Cup. But that is a takeaway in how Brother views this pool. Other than that, I, I would agree with you, Frank. It seems pretty chalky in this part of the field. I didn't know whether to expect Paxton Aronson. He hasn't been super impactful player for Eintracht Frankfurt, even though I think he is a very good player. Still young, still super slight, I think needs to work on his frame and, and his build. He doesn't have to become Adama Traore, but there's a, sort of a difference between being you know, Tim Weah or how you know Gio Reyna can sort of shield the ball and what really either of the Aronson brothers can do, but especially Paxton right now as the younger of those two. Still very slight, I think has room to grow there, but is a, a good player. I don't know how much we'll see of him in this window. One player that I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing a bit more of is Malik Tillman, who's been playing with PSV. He's had a bigger role there than Ricardo Pepe, who's maybe someone we'll come on to talk about, at least in that striker position group. He's had a bigger role there in, in, in the Netherlands, playing some in the Champions League. I think Tillman is a very intriguing player, not quite a, a full-on playmaker, not quite a full-on box-to-box kind of guy, somebody that's still maybe searching for his role with the United States, but I think he's improving, and I think the fact that he's getting these reps has been really useful for him on a, on, on club level. So he's somebody that I, I sort of always look forward to seeing a bit more of whenever he's in these camps. 
Yeah, I 100% agree. I mean, um, he didn't start their last Champions League match, but he has started some Champions League matches for PSV. And so to me, anytime you got a guy starting Champions League matches, I mean, you got to take a look at him. He hasn't seen a whole lot of minutes with this USMNT, but he's somebody who could possibly play that um, attacking number 10 if they decide to, you know, have Gio Reyna play out on one of the wings, you know, in in these matches. And then Leonard Maloney, I I would like to see him play. You know, the last window, I know he got called up last camp. He hardly played at all. I didn't really get a chance to kind of judge what kind of player that he is. So uh, I'd love to to just see more of him in this midfield. Okay, let's talk about the wingers. I mean, we got Brendan Aronson, Kevin Paredes, and Alex Zendejas. To me, you you could probably argue that Alex Zendejas gets the biggest opportunity here. I mean, he made it into the last camp because of Malik Tillman's injury. Now he's made it into this camp because of Wei and Pulisic being out. But credit to him, he's been he's been scoring a lot of goals recently at, at Club America. So what are you expecting from Zendejas coming into this uh these two these two matches? I'll be honest, I'm not expecting a whole lot. I, I have not been impressed <laughs> with him for the United States. Uh, there were there were early on, I think, when we first were starting to see him, and there's a question of, oh, is he going to play for the U.S. or Mexico? He chooses the U.S. I, w- I was in and around the team back in, I guess it was January camp. It would have been January of this year, and he was in that camp, and that was still big news about you know who he was going to pick. Decides to play for the U.S. Seems like you know a, a nice guy who has history with a lot of these U.S. players from youth level but hasn't been really goal dangerous for the U.S., was not good in the Gold Cup, which is biggest opportunity so far. So I don't expect a lot. It feels like there is a little bit of a disconnect between what we see from him with Club America and Liga Mekis and, and what we see with him on the national level. What I will say is I think maybe he's he's just been really hot with Club America and maybe that won't be around forever. But he's a guy with a lot to gain from this camp. There's no doubt about that at all. He's not a first choice player. I think we can see the fact that he wasn't brought in last camp at first when the first squad is released. He almost certainly would not be in this camp if Tim Weah and Christian Pulisic were healthy and you had a full complement of players. So yeah, there's almost nothing but upside for Zendayas, right? He doesn't perform great and it's sort of the status quo. He does perform well and has some impact moments and, and that's a good thing for him. The one thing that I'll say and I think will be important whenever the U.S. takes on a team that realistically they should be expected to beat in in Trinidad and Tobago, especially in this first game at home for the United States, is absolutely in that category. It's important to take all this stuff with a grain of salt, right? If Zendayas comes in and scores a goal, that's great, but it's not against a team that that you really want to be measuring yourself against if you're the United States. There are are different levels to this. Not that these games are to be taken lightly, not that they're, they're not worth preparing for. They are. And if you don't prepare for it, you're going to be punished. But this is still something that is not... A, a career-making performance. It won't be for any of these players, even if they do well. So that's a little bit of the grain of salt with with some of the Zendejas upside. But, I mean, there is still only upside for him. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, especially because of the Gold Cup, you know, he wasn't playing against great competition in some of those matches, and he still didn't perform, you know, very well. So um, he's really got to perform well, I think, with the playing time that he gets to, uh, um, to take advantage of this opportunity and maybe get more minutes in the future. Let me ask you: Would you have liked to see? Would you have liked to have seen another winger brought in, like a Taylor Booth or somebody like that? Uh honestly, I'm a big fan of Taylor Booth's game. I know last month he was still not fully healthy; he was on a pretty big minutes restriction with the U23s. It seemed like when he was on the field, again, I watched those games. He was the best player on the field for them. So 
He's somebody that I like a lot. I, I honestly don't know how many minutes he's been playing at club level right now. Still only, I'm looking it up right now, still only 221 minutes on the year and is just now sort of playing 60 minutes for, for Utrecht. So maybe that's why we don't see Taylor Booth, but I think Booth is very clearly a better player, better winger, more goal dangerous than probably any of the wingers that are in this squad outside of Gio Reyna, if you want to put him in that category, and certainly more so than than Zendejas and, and Brendan Aronson as well. So I would have liked to see Booth, but maybe there is a health question there. Other than that, this is another thing for the United States right now. It's another benchmark for them. Depth is an issue, right? When you go back and think about the Germany game, the U.S. got outcreated in the first half. They were sort of, they had the blow, they, they, their doors are blown off in the second half by Germany. But in that game, the U.S. sort of went toe-to-toe with them in the first 45. The defending was not great from the U.S. and Greg Berlthers talked about that. But the attack had chances. You know, Christian Pulisic goes down in the box and, and dives instead of trying to get a shot off on frame. You have other good chances, good moments from the United States in that first half. Germany had theirs, but the U.S. had theirs too. It was fairly even, and things unraveled in the second half for the United States because the defending was poor, but another big difference between the United States and Germany in that game was the depth. When Germany are bringing on Kai Havertz and you're bringing on you know, Brendan Aronson or whatever it is, right? That's that's not the same. There's a huge difference there. And that's nothing against Brendan Aronson. You could apply that same logic to almost any player who's not in the starting lineup for the U.S. in any given game. The depth is not there yet. And I think we're going to see that very acutely in this window where Christian Pulisic and Tim Wea are both gone. All of a sudden, you're missing two starters. Who do you turn to? Who do you feel good about in those positions? It's not a very long list. So I think that is another thing to think about for the U.S. between now and 2026 about, you know, our the United States going to be able to find the depth options to help them sustain a high level throughout 90 minutes. Yeah, 100% agree with you. That was something I think that hurt him at the World Cup as well, lacking that depth and uh, seeing a lot of tired legs by the time we got to the uh, the Netherlands game. Let's look at the strikers. Um, this one, this one's probably the easiest uh, one to predict lately. Um, we got Balogun and Pepe, you know, back in there. Do you see anything differently happening? I mean, with 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 those two in this upcoming window. I mean, I I think from even how how you asked the question, we both kind of know the answer is no. Like Florian <laughs> Balogun is going to be the number nine, yeah. right? That's that's not even a discussion at this point around the national team, and it was never going to be for folks that watched how good Florian Balogun was last year in Liga. He's been dangerous again this year for Monaco. Not perfect, but is very, very dangerous. And Ricardo Pepe's not playing. Like, he's not getting real consistent minutes for PSV. That move has not worked out well for him. Now, it's early days. There's lots of time for that to change. But Luke de Jong, it's scoring goals. And he is a very good number nine, especially for that level. So it's not an easy road for Ricardo Pepe to to really make progress at club level. But he has been good on the national team side. So there is some upside there for him. But this is Balogun's job. I think the, the bigger questions around the striker spot is, how did the U.S. continue to get whoever's in that position? And it will be Balogun more involved. You know, he was involved against Ghana, was not involved nearly enough against Germany. How how do you maximize the touches that Balogun, who is probably going to be the best United States player on the field between now and the end of the 2026 World Cup, barring a major player development from someone else or a new dual national or someone popping out of the woodwork, right? Balogun is the highest impact player that the United States has. How do you activate him? That's the word that Baralter uses all the time. How do you activate for Lauren Balogun. It wasn't good enough to start the last window. It was much better to finish it off. You know, I would expect him against a team like Trinidad and Tobago to be hugely involved. Like he needs to be involved. He needs to be both pulling the strings and then also getting into the box to get on the end of service and create his own shot as well. He's good enough to do all of those things at an elite level. 
know, this is the opportunity for him to shine and for the U.S. to get more reps and how they can actually go out there and activate him. Okay, and then we we kind of skipped over goalkeeper earlier, but we got uh, Matt Turner, Ethan Horvath, and Gaga Slonina. So maybe worth discussing a little bit. Gaga Slonina, he hasn't been called in a lot as the you know third goalkeeper to this you know I'll call it an, an A team. Uh, now he's getting regular minutes in, in Europe. Uh, what you make of him getting called into this roster? It's exciting to see him get called in. I have a hard time believing that anybody other than Matt Turner is going to eat up the minutes in these games, which are important games. There's a, a real reason to be going out there and, and pushing for these results. But, I mean, it's, it's exciting for Selenina, who is also very much still in the U23 conversation alongside his former U.S. U23 teammate, or alongside his former Chicago Fire teammate, excuse me, Chris Brady. Those are, are sort of the two players, I think, that are fighting for the starting spot for the U.S. ahead of the Paris Olympics next summer. Selenina is someone that's very highly rated by U.S. soccer Dual national chose to play for the U.S. over Poland. It's good to see him involved. I don't think we'll see any more of him than that, and that is that is just fine. All right, so we got this match coming up on Thursday against Trinidad in Austin. Uh, as we mentioned last time, the U.S. played Trinidad. They won 6-0 at the Gold Cup. Let me ask you a question about formation. We alluded to it you know, a little bit earlier, but let's say that Greg calls you up on the phone next week. And he's like, hey, Joseph, man, don't tell anybody I'm calling you because I'll, I'll take a lot of heat for this. But he's like, I'm being indecisive. I'm like, do I go with a 4-2-3-1? Do I go with this 4-3-3? Do I, if I go with the 4-2-3-1, do I keep Gio as that more central number 10? Or do I move him to wing and use Tillman? And he's like, Joseph, what should I do? What, what advice would you give to him? Yeah, so for this camp in particular, I would probably stick with the 4-3-3 because that means you can use Gio Reyna as a winger. Versus if you go to the 4-2-3-1, he's the obvious pick for, for the central spaces. And then you still have to put two wingers on the field, right? So I, I would do whatever you can to try and get Giorena as involved as possible while also covering for some of the absences. That being said, I'm not at all opposed to you running out Malik Tillman, Malik Tillman as, as a number 10 in a 4-2-3-1, and having Giorena off to the side of him. And those two players can combine in central spaces. The reality is there's just so little difference in possession for the U.S., you know, it's never actually a 4-3-3 or a 4-2-3-1, right? It's always usually a back two, sometimes a back three in possession where you have a front five and players interchanging. It almost always turns into something very similar to whatever the last thing we saw was, and that's not a bad thing. So I think in either look, getting Giorena and Weston McKinney or Giorena and Weston McKinney and Tillman combining on the field together with Falor and Balogun, I think you can do that in any of those looks. It's just a matter of maybe what defensive shape you want to prioritize, and that I'm not sure is going to matter a ton in these two games. Well, Joseph, thank you so much. I uh, really appreciate you coming on on the show. I'll make sure and put links in the show notes to your Twitter slash X account, which is at uh, Josie Lowry, and also a link to your work you're doing over at backheel.com. But before I let you go, any final thoughts that you'd like to share? I'm excited to get these games back and going. It's it's fun to watch this team play. They're a fun group of young players. We'll learn some things, at least some things, about some of these players who aren't usually as involved. And getting to watch more of Lauren Balligan is a, a pretty good evening in my book. So I'm looking forward to these two. Thank you, Joseph. Thanks, Frank. And thanks to everyone for listening to Here and Abroad. If you enjoyed the episode, please share it with a fellow USMNT fan. I'm Frank Garza. You can follow me on Twitter slash X at Frank Garza 007. And I'll be back next week with a new episode.